This show was played live on Friday night. Now we are going to play the repeat of Friday Night Live. Please do not call or text to participate in the show. Any announcement made in the show may now not be applicable. Assalamu alaikum and welcome to another edition of Friday Night Live on Friday the 20th of July 2018. I'm your host Abdel Akbar and you're joining us live from Inspire FM Studios here in Luton and we're beaming out to the good people of Luton and the surrounding areas tonight and also to the good people of Sheffield, Nottingham, Derby and Peterborough through our partner stations across the nation. That's right. Uh, Lots of exciting things coming up tonight, um, including very, very controversial decision that the Jewish parliament, the Israeli parliament made yesterday on a controversial bill will be asking the question why Israel has approved a controversial bill yesterday and what does this bill mean? We're going to be joined by Keith Douglas from Jews for Justice uh, in a moment. Um, Keith Douglas will be joining us on the line from Jews for Justice and also um, coming up later on today, of course we know that France won the World Cup but lots of controversy around the makeup of the French team and whether actually they won the World Cup or was it more like Africa? That's coming up in a short while. We'll be talking about did France win the World Cup or was it Africa? Don't forget you can take part in tonight's conversation on 01582 481822. Guess the voice is also back where I'll be playing two voices and you'll be able to win a meal for two at tonight's sponsor restaurant at G's Gourmet Burgers. That's right, G's Gourmet Burgers is going to be giving away a meal for two for those who are able to correctly identify the two voices that I'll be playing very, very shortly. Also coming up are the Pakistani elections. Um, Later on in the hour, we'll be talking about what's going to happen before the 25th of July. There have been lots of different problems in Pakistan and it usually is up to the build-up to elections. But we'll be asking who's going to win the elections on the 25th of July in Pakistan. And really, is Imran Khan the solution for Pakistan? If you think Imran Khan is a solution, 01582481822, or do you think he is going to make things worse for Pakistan, 01582481822, I want to hear you on that. And also, in the second hour of tonight's program, we're going to be going straight on to our special topic of the evening. We'll be talking about knife crime, that's right, knife crime uh, in Luton and across the UK. So more on that coming up in a short while. But um, we're going to go straight on to our first topic in a moment. But before we do that, I am joined by my very special co-host of the evening. It's uh, Brother Paul Cooper. Assalamualaikum, Paul. Waalaikum salam wa And uh, welcome to the Centre of Universe, which of course is Luton. Yes, indeed. How have you been, Paul, <laughs> um, this, uh, this, this week? Have you had a busy week? Alhamdulillah, yeah, I've had a very busy week. We yes. we, we had uh, we had sports day today, and uh, it was very nice actually. It was nice seeing. Uh, you are teaching your day job, aren't you, Paul? Is that yeah, right? Yeah, you are indeed. So it was really nice uh, seeing the boys uh, enjoying themselves today. It was a it was a really good day. Re- Tell me, how how is how is the heat? How have you been faring with the heat? Because um, of your uh, Caucasian complexion, uh, have you been handling that quite well? Uh, 
I completely, <laughs> I completely, I completely stay out of the sun. I, 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 I just go red. I do not go brown. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Well, um, good to have you on tonight's program. Looking forward to hearing lots of your thoughts on the upcoming topic. And this is the upcoming topic right now, because um, if you haven't heard yesterday, um, the uh, Israeli cabinet uh, passed a controversial nation state bill yesterday. Um, uh, you know, this is very interesting because it made no mention of the values of equality and democracy. Israel has passed into law a highly controversial bill that serves to define the nature of the state of Israel, with critics slamming it as the nail in the coffin of Israeli democracy. Now, the nation state bill After passed in its second and third readings. Uh, I'm not sure what that was. The nation-state bill passed in its third and second readings following an hour-long debate in uh, the Knesset, which is the Israeli parliament. Um, the law established that Israel, as the historic home of the Jewish people, with a united Jerusalem as its capital, and declared that the Jewish people have an exclusive right to national self-determination in Israel. The question I'm asking tonight is this bill the end of the peace process for Israel? And how do Israelis feel about this? Now, I have a lot of Israeli and Jewish friends myself, and I have actually spoken to them, and there are mixed feelings amongst them. But the ones that I know are actually in favor of this, especially those who live in Tel Aviv and around that area. But somebody else is on the line right now. I'd love to know what he thinks. He is Keith Douglas from Jews for Justice. Good evening, Keith. Very good evening. Assalamu uh, alaikum to all the listeners and friends. Thank you so Arsalam, much for Keith. joining us, Keith. And um, Keith, what's your take on this bill? Is this the nail in the coffin of Israeli democracy? Well, I think it's one of the nails. But let me first introduce myself properly. Please, please. Um, I'm actually a, a member of uh, not only Jews for Justice Palestinians, but also Jewish Voice for Labour, JVL. And we are uh, a pending affiliate uh, of the Labour Party and will be speaking at conference. Um, and we represent those Jews who don't agree with the Zionist line per, uh, put forward by the Jewish Chronicle and its uh, Zionist followers. Um, my view, and our view generally, is that uh, Israel has got the peace it wants, its domination over the Palestinian people. Um, I don't think that this represents anything new, this latest declaration, but it's certainly a nail of confirmation that they don't care what the Palestinians think. There is no way for a two-state solution. And I think it's important that we all wake up to that fact as soon as possible. That's interesting. Mm. I mean, what, what I discovered about the actual um, rule itself is that, um, you know, of course, Arab MPs that are also part of the Israeli parliament, they quite um, predictably reacted furiously in parliament. Yes, um, I watched it on RT. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure you saw that on, on, on the Russian news. Um, I did. That, that was covering it. But uh, interestingly enough, it wasn't available on BBC. Mm. 
Mm. I mean, um, I think, I guess, in fairness, the BBC did have coverage of it on on their website. But take the yeah, but not on the television. Not on the television. Not so that most people would not know that wouldn't have known about it. Sure, sure. I hear that. But here, here's the thing. I mean, isn't it right that um, those who are living in Israel, who are majority, you know, uh, from the Jewish people, isn't it right that uh, that language, their their main language, which is Hebrew, is recognised as the majority language, and that Arabic is deprioritised? Because that's the argument the government is making. Well, it's a false uh, majority, isn't it? Because we know that there um, are a million uh, Arab, Arab Palestinians, as they prefer to be known as, not Arabs, but Arab Palestinians. Uh, Israeli Palestinians, sorry. That's what they l- like to be called. And if you add to that the Palestinians in the West Bank and Gaza, they are a majority of the people in that land. I don't actually refer to Israel as Israel anymore. I refer to it as Israel-Palestine because ultimately the only solution for this region is a state which recognizes and respects Mm. the um, the Muslim people, the Jewish people, the Christian people and the atheist people. It's It's very interesting what you said, Keith, because um, I I actually posted something myself on Facebook and uh, the reality is the two-state solution is finished be simply because of the loss of the land that has been taken over by illegal settlements Correct. and and the reality is there is only a one one state solution Correct. and uh wh- where you've had situations like this and and, and i've compared this the, the situation to, to the beautiful thing that happened um in south africa i mean I, i'm 51 and i can remember as a child i never imagined seeing um south africa changing from um leaving um you know uh, um pw Botha and uh, the government of the clerk to, to to become what it was and nelson mandela being released but you know that is really realistically the only dream now for israel that um could it become a true rainbow nation where a christian could become the prime minister and the president or a a muslim could become the prime minister or the president or um on on an equal footing um um, be a jewish uh, person become um the prime minister or president i mean really that has to be the moral the moral high ground goal for Israel for, Absolutely uh, for, it is. for the world the to word, pursue, doesn't it? You use the word apartheid quite correctly in referring to South Africa. And that's what we now have. That's what this declaration actually means, that apartheid Israel is now official. And that, they, uh, that the Arabs that live in, in what they call Israel, um, that they have to accept a junior situation, a junior role. Um, and that, what's that if it's not a part of yeah. development? Yeah, so tell me well, one thing, Keith, which is what's your take on how much the Donald Trump victory in the US has actually accelerated this kind of momentum from the Israeli government, the right-wing Israeli government? Because um, is, it, is it true to say that actually it, it is because of Donald Trump's endorsement of, for example, having the American embassy in Jerusalem has actually emboldened the government to make these kinds of decisions? Well, it certainly would have emboldened it, wouldn't it? I mean, the thing about Trump and Trumpism is that it will fall victim to anybody that can manipulate it, which has votes and money. And, of course, we know that the Zionist movement in the United States, um, uh, not dominated by a Jewish element, but the non-Zionist, the the non-Jewish Zionist movement in America, 
mm. is absolutely massive and uh, furnishes Trump and his campaign with massive resources, uh, massive resources, and yes, that would have emboldened the Israelis, and no doubt about it. Mm-hmm. All right, all right. Well, Keith, just hold the line for a moment. We're going to come back to you in a moment. But listeners, you are tuned into Friday Night Live tonight. We're giving out to the good people of Luton and surrounding areas tonight, and also to the great people of Peterborough, Nottingham, Derby, and Sheffield through our partner stations across the nation. Right now, we're talking about the nation-state law which the Israeli Parliament passed, characterizing the country as principally a Jewish state, fueling anger among its Arab minority. Now, the nation-state law says that Jews have a unique right to national self-determination and puts Hebrew above Arabic as the official language, causing a bit of a stir yesterday in the Israeli parliament, especially amongst the Arab MPs there who reacted furiously with one waving a black flag and others ripping up the bill. Scary stuff there. Before we actually go back to Keith from Jews for Justice, we are going to take a very very short interval to our guest of voice competition that's right guest of voice that's when we play two voices and you have a chance to win a meal for two at g's gourmet burgers that's right we're not giving out any old cheap burgers i can guess this listeners so if you hear anything i'm, I'm not giving anything away because i don't know what it is have you been to g's gourmet burgers paul I, I, I don't. The reason is because is I'm allergic to wheat, so I can't eat. Oh. I can't eat any um, oh. outside uh, rolls. So, so no, bur- burgers have been off the you're, menu you're for me. You're gluten, a gluten-free diet, are you? Yeah, not not because it's a fad, but I actually yeah. became allergic to wheat about six years ago. Oh, we got. Hit. I'm, I would love to hear that <laughs> but story. As you, but as you can <laughs> as you can tell from my size, there's no truth that a gluten-free diet helps you lose a lot of weight. I'm still a large man. <laughs> you said it. You said it. All right, listeners, guess the voice time. Here comes voice number one. Don't forget. As soon as you know the two voices, you've got to call 01582 481 822. You've got to be in it to win it. No WhatsApps. There's no concept of WhatsApp on Friday Night Live. You've got to give us a call and share your views and your answers live on the radio. 01582 481 822. Here comes voice number one. Rabbi elections made this but this is a very unfortunate position. Is that? That was voice number uh, one. Oh, crumbs, I haven't got a clue. There's a very strange echo coming out of this. All right, we're, it sounds like we're in the twilight zone there. Yeah, I know, tell me about it. Here comes voice uh, number two. Voice number two. He comes with an open mind and a fresh mind, even if he has lack of understanding oh, I, of international issues. Okay, um, Paul reckons he knows I, who I that know is. I know who that is. But, but don't, don't mention it, Paul. Sorry. I definitely know who that is. All right, voice number one, one more time. Rabbi elections made but this is a very unfortunate position. And here comes voice number two. He comes with an open mind and a fresh mind, even if he has lack of understanding of international issues. 01582481822 is the number to call if you know those voices. Um, I'm surprised there's no calls yet. We normally get called straight away. I'm going to play voice number one one more time. Rabbi elections but this is a very unfortunate position. Who's going to guess voice number one and two? Voice number two is a bit easier. Here's voice number two. 
He comes with an open mind and a fresh mind, even if he has lack of understanding of international issues. Okay, so Paul reckons he knows who voice number two is. Um, he's not so sure about Paul, voice number one, but give it a shot, listeners. 01582 481822. It is, of course, Friday Night Live, Friday Night Live on Friday, the 20th of July. 2018. Um, I'm going to go back to Keith Douglas, who's on the line from Jews for Justice. Uh, good evening, Keith. Good evening. Thank you good so evening. much for holding on with us. So, Keith, there'll be a lot of people listening to tonight's program thinking, who is this Keith chap, and why is he so much in favour of supporting the Palestinian state, um, unlike m- the majority of Israelis who are actually in favour of making sure that um, no such state exists, especially one which is, which is potentially going to perpetuate violence in the region. What's your take on that kind of feedback? Well, I mean, I'm a secular Jew um, and very proud to be Jewish, but I'm proud to, for, the, for our secular heritage. Um, I'm not at all associated with the Zionist heritage, which I think is quite positively obscene. And I think that they don't do uh, Judaism uh, uh, much service. They do it a disservice. Um, And I think my take generally on what's going on in the Middle East is that uh, Israel will in fact isolate itself eventually. Um, To tack itself on to Trumpism the way it has will be seeds of its eventual downfall. Okay, fair enough. And also joining us in the studio right now, stay on the line there, Keith, just stand by. We've also got um, Zafar Iqbal Saab joining us this evening. Zafar Iqbal Saab, obviously I'm sure you heard about the nation-state law that was passed yesterday um, in Israel, um, basically saying that Jews have a unique right to national self-determination there and puts Hebrew above Arabic as the official language, Zafar Saab. What's your take on that? Do you think that this is going to affect the peace process with the Palestinians? Yes, uh, the peace process. <laughs> we can talk about that. I think the peace process died a long time ago. Um, so in terms of the, the language Hebrew over Arabic, um, I think just stating the obvious, because I think that's already the case anyway. Uh, was it? Because when, I, when I, I've been to Tel Aviv a few times, I, I go as part and of I, my I work. know the, the signage is in two languages, yeah. but, but so is Welsh. Uh, and, and English, if you're going to Wales, but, but isn't Welsh a national language? It's a national language, which is why it's in those in in those yeah, signs. But, but, but now they're saying that Arabic is no longer a national so language. The, so they're not going to they're going to remove it completely. Oh, that that's different. I think it's a secondary language now, so it's not regarded as the national language. Right. Which so is sec- what it was secondary before. language, yeah. I mean, it's, that's the, that was the status already. Mm. Um, but but if it's no longer recognized as a national language i think that's a that's a big that's a big step really yeah uh, and i think that that is uh that is denying people who speak the language uh um some mm. some recognition i would say uh yeah. in terms of um in, in terms of the actual sort of declaration uh i think it's it's getting i guess it's there's a trend going on in the world isn't it towards nationalism everybody yeah. everybody thinks now that um, the the solution to every problem is nationalism and self interest and and gathering your own kind uh, you know uh, and and you know feeling secure in your in in the a group of your you know your fellow sort of people mm. and I think what what we've learned and we should have learned right for the past sort of uh, seventy years or so uh, or, or ninety years, eighty years or so is the fact that working together right from across the different divides actually is is much more peaceful and eventually. It does lead to peace, um, and, and we, we've seen, a, I guess, a, a quite a prolonged period of peace here right, in the world. 
um, and then actually so everybody drawing up the bridges and, and you know building walls and stuff like that is, is not not going in the right direction and I guess this is one step in that direction we've seen America going that direction we've seen Russia going that direction India going that direction and some of the European countries is also sort of vying for that nationalistic sort of uh, um, you know voice and I think it's not good for the world world peace I would say okay let's go back to our special guest on the line we've got Keith Douglas from Jews for Justice Keith I, um, pick, I picked up the comment about uh, nationalism and I completely agree with what he was saying yes. I'm an internationalist and that's why I associate m myself with Jewish Voice for Labour, which backs Jeremy Corbyn, who is also an internationalist. Um, and he understands, as I understand, that in fact the future for mankind is internationalism, not nationalism. Yeah, mm. uh, I, I think if, if you put if you put a label of internationalism, people have different connotations. But I think if you if you express it in a in a in a sense that. You know, the world is getting smaller and we have to get on with each other. Uh, we have to live uh, in this one space that we have. And I think that that people can relate to, I think. OK. All right. Well, Keith, um, I, I first of all want to thank you for your time this evening and sharing your perspectives. Not and I um, look forward to having you on the programme in the future, sir. I look forward to it. Thank you so much. Have a good evening. Good evening. Masalama to you all. Take Masalama. care. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Listeners, this is Friday Night Live. Uh, we've just been talking about the situation in Israel yesterday, where Israel's parliament has passed a controversial law um, characterizing the country as principally a Jewish state, fueling anger amongst its Arab minority. Uh, what do you reckon? 01582 uh, 481 is the number to call. Um, we're going to go to Guess the Voice because we've got lots of people calling in for that um, before we continue um, on the topic at hand. So let's go ahead um, to our um, uh, caller on the line. So let's go to uh, Imran who's playing Guess the Voice. Now, Imran. Thanks for calling, Imran. How are you tonight? Alhamdulillah, just a bit hot. Just a bit hot? Have you got a fan on, bro? Nah. <laughs> <laughs> Where are you calling from, Imran? Whereabouts? Uh, Lucy Farm. Lucy Farm. Okay. How's it going in Lucy Farm these days? Apart it's from okay, the Alhamdulillah. Apart from the temperature. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, Imran. So I'm gonna we're gonna play yeah. guess the voice. Uh, let's see if you can tell me whose voice this is. Here comes voice number one. Rabi elections made this area so this is a very unfortunate position. Whose voice is that, Imran? That's Bilal Zadari Bhutto. Bilal Bhutto, did you say? Yeah, Bilal. Bil Bilal. It's not Imran Khan? Nah. You don't reckon it's Imran Khan? No, nah, I don't think so, no. Okay, alright, here comes voice number two. He comes with an open mind and a fresh mind, even if he has lack of understanding of international issues. Alright, Imran, who is that? That's uh, General Purvez Musharraf. You think that's General Pervez Masharif? Okay, well, Imran, if you gave me two correct answers there, which I'm not saying you have, okay. um, you'll find out at the end if you have. We're going to put your name into a hat, and everyone who gives two correct answers will be one of you will be luckily selected um, randomly to win a meal for two Inshallah. at least. Inshallah, that's the way to say Inshallah, absolutely. Uh, Imran, have you been following the news lately? Um, not for a few days now. Not for a few days. Uh, do you know who won the World Cup? Yeah, I know that one, yeah. Who won the World Cup? It's France, isn't it? In it, absolutely. It's France. <laughs> but, but tell me one thing, Imran. Do you think France actually won the World Cup, given that the makeup of the French team was mostly Africans and Muslims? 
It doesn't matter where you are in this world. If you're representing a country, that country has to win, isn't it? That's a very interesting take. Thank you for sharing that, Imran. I love that okay. feedback. Okay, so you're, as far as... as that is where the truth should be. That's interesting. Mashallah, Imran has got it spot on that is what it should be yeah i mean that's definitely an opinion it's not i've got to say Imran, it's not my opinion uh, i'm going to share my opinion in a bit because okay. i think um france is full of racism and islamophobia and um they should at least fix that before they start to grab the world cup of, from these men who have okay. actually won um this world cup on the french behalf but i would love to hear from our listeners thank you Imran. thanks for calling we're going to okay. add your name into the hat if you're right Take care, Salam Okay, so that was Imran taking part. Listeners, you can take part as well. 01582 Remember, guess the voice is still active. So it can will... I get half a burger if I answer <laughs> the, the one that I do know? Uh, no, you can't take part, Paul, because you are a presenter on the programme tonight, I'm afraid. Uh... Spy FM rules, yeah. <laughs> well, um, uh, thanks for the feedback um, there. From Imran. Okay, if you want to play guess the voice, right? Don't forget this is the voice. You got to guess. Rabi elections me itne saare vakiye hoye hain, so this is a very unfortunate position. Voice number two. Here it comes. He comes with an open mind and a fresh mind, even if he has lack of understanding of international issues. Oh one five eight two four eight one eight double two. We've got somebody else on the line as well. Um, we're going to try and fit them if we can in the last minute of the program. Um, Slaunikum, is that Arbaz? Yeah. Thanks for calling. Are you playing guest the voice? Yeah. All right, go ahead. What's voice number one? Blawal Bhutto. Okay, you think number one was Blawal Bhutto. Okay, number two, voice number two? Pilvez Musharraf. Is somebody telling you in the background? No. Are you sure? Yeah. <laughs> I'll take your word for it. Where are you calling from? Luton. Luton. Whereabouts in Luton? Beaton. I, I think there's somebody telling him in the background, Paul. I could hear somebody in the background. I can't. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Thanks for calling out, Buzz. If you got the correct answer, we will call you back, okay? And we'll add your name into the hat of correct answers, assuming... You got the correct answer. Don't forget, listeners, you can also take part. 01582 you got to be in it to win it. This is Friday Night Live. We'll be right back after these messages. Don't go away. This show was played live on Friday night. Now we are going to play the repeat of Friday Night Live. Please do not call or text to participate in the show. Any announcement made in the show may now not be applicable. Assalamualaikum, welcome back to part two of tonight's edition of Friday Night Live with me, Abdul Akbar. Also in the house, I've got Paul Cooper and also Zafar Iqbal Saab as well. Assalamualaikum, gents. Wa alaikum salam. Thanks for hanging around for the second part of the program, gents. <laughs> of course, we do have a four-part program tonight. We're with you for the next hour and a half and we're beaming out to the good people of Luton and surrounding areas tonight and also to the good people of Sheffield, Nottingham, Derby and Peterborough through our partner stations across the nation. So if you're listening through one of those stations, welcome to all of you, whether you are listening through Unity FM or Salam Radio or wherever you are, 
Welcome to Friday Night Live. We've just been talking about the controversial bill that was passed in Israeli parliament yesterday, characterizing the country as principally a Jewish state fueling anger among its Arab minority. So much so that Arab MPs reacted furiously in parliament with one waving a black flag and others ripping up the bill. Now, Israel's prime minister praised the bill passage as a defining moment. He said, 122 years after the founder of modern Zionism, Theodore Herzl, made his vision known, with this law, we determine the founding principle of our existence. Just reading that quote sends a chill through the spine of this Muslim sitting in Luton right now, especially one that really wants to see a peace process successful. I'm not sure if this is going to help. Well, anyway, we're going to go straight on to our next topic of the evening. And don't forget, listeners, in about half an hour's time, we are going to be going on to our um, highlight topic of the evening, which is about knife crime. Uh, we'll be spending a good 45 minutes on that topic and we'll be joined by Claire Copleston from Meaningful Education. We'll also be joined by Daniel Connor, who's the head teacher of Cholney High School for Boys in the studio, just to really understand this pandemic of knife crime. Also joining us will be Mark Clark from Walk to Freedom and also Omar Khan Saladin, who is a community activist. So that coming up in about half an hour's time. Don't miss our knife crime special. And if you want to call in for that as well, it's the usual number 01582481822. Well, we do know that France won the World Cup. But the question is, if you look at the demographic and the makeup of the French team, the question is, did they actually win the World Cup? Now, this is all on the back of the Daily Show host. So the Daily Show is an American kind of satirical uh, show that talks about current affairs. Chap, very smart chap called Trevor Noah, South African chap, presents that. And he's defending himself today after a joke he made, um, which caused a backlash from the French ambassador. Did any of you gentlemen hear about this? I, I just did. Uh, uh, Zafabai uh, played it in the break. Um, yeah. I've got to say, listeners, I was roaring with laughter. It is very funny. <laughs> it, 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 it is very funny. But he's making a very serious point, right? He's saying that, hey, at the end of the day, Africa won the World Cup. It wasn't the French team because of the makeup of that French team. I think I don't have the full facts in front of me, so I should have done some more preparation here. But I do believe at least seven players were black and seven players were Muslim. Actually, it's interesting. I, I came across something of I came across something where it said um, eighty percent of the players were from Africa, Ooh. and fifty percent of the players um, were uh, Muslim. Ooh. Really? Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness gracious so it, it, me! It is interesting when when you look back to, to months gone by, where we, mm. we've had this awful thing happen to our wives, daughters, and mothers with yeah. this awful thing exactly. about them not being able to wear hijab, wear, wear hijab and go yeah. swimming. Yeah, state schools. If you if you're if you are a, a Muslim who wants to by choice wear a headscarf, you cannot do that in secular France. And this is what upsets me the most. So there's two sides to this. One side is 
Well, why are those Actually, footballers playing for France? I know, why di- are they I know I'm France? digressing a bit, but you, you are aware that we've got a similar statement by the head of Ofsted that oh, we have. We're wearing, wearing a headscarf. She does not have the guts to actually put it into force, this kind of law. And she can't, frankly speaking, because of the strength and unity of the British people. But, Paul, let me come back to that in a moment, because I do want to go to Nadine Butt, who is the Luton United coach and also presenter of the Added Time show on our very own Inspire FM. So, uh, Nadim, uh, good evening. Hi, good evening. Assalamualaikum, everybody. Waksalam. How are you doing, uh, Nadim? You well? Yeah, very well, thank you very much. Not so, bad, not bad. So, Nadim, what's... I'm just in a, a training session at the moment. I've just taken a few minutes off. Oh, from, my uh, God. I'm so, so, so sorry <laughs> to interrupt you, bro. No, really that's okay. That. No yeah. problem. Okay, well, what kind of training are you doing, by the way? Is it weight training? <laughs> I wish it's not for me. Um, no, it's uh, it's for Luton United. We've got a training session this awesome. evening on Fridays. We have a we have an under 16s and under 13s uh, group train on a Friday evening. Well, may, may, may God bless your legs and and give strength <laughs> to your legs. <laughs> anyway, let's get back to the topic. So, Nadim, tell me, what's your take on this based on what Trevor Noah said? Did France win the World Cup or was it Africa? Well, look, I mean, Trevor Noah is like you guys have already mentioned, a very funny guy. Mm. Uh, he's a comedian. Uh, a lot of comments that he does make um, are tongue-in-cheek, but he's a very intelligent man as well. Mm. Um, okay. But at the end of the day, if you ask any of those French players who were playing that day, there was about seven seven of those French players, I think, were African. Did Four you? of them, oh, African descent. One mm. of them was of a Spanish descent also. I think Rafael Varane is of a Caribbean descent. So there, there is there is a, a vast sort of like... Uh, um, uh, um, um, uh, inclusion of different um, uh, societies and origins there. Mm. Um, but you just have to look at the beginning of the match when the national anthems were playing. Mm. All 11 players, even the African descendant players, were belting out with the na- French national anthem. Um, mm. And if you were to ask those players whether they're French or African, I would arguably guess that they would say that they're French. Yeah. Um, and uh, that they choose to play for France. Um, a lot of them uh, come from countries like Cameroon, Angola, Guinea, um, and they have the choice to either play for that particular country because their parents are from there, mm. uh, or they choose to play for France. So these players choose to play for France. So, you know, my personal view is that France did win the World Cup, and uh, a lot of it is tongue-in-cheek. There is a lot of politics that is going around since then in yeah. terms of did they win the World Cup or did Africa win the World Cup. It's obvious that France is a, a very multiracial, multicultural society. Yes, there are a lot of issues in France mm. uh, uh, for Muslims and Africans. Exactly, exactly. Uh, altogether. Um, but you reckon but, the game you know, shouldn't be politicised? Choose to play for France. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. But I'll take another minute of your time, if I may, Nadine. By but no, that's okay. Uh, you know, in terms of football itself, from your perspective, as somebody who's you know Luton United coach, which is a very big responsibility. Um, in, sure. in in your case, um, you reckon that football shouldn't be politicised in this way because at the end of the day, you know, you can't but but notice the demographic of that team, and when yeah. you look at France's policies because you know we, we do have to look at that holistically as well france's yeah. policies towards black people frankly speaking yeah. i mean if you look at the french demographic you go down to some of the poorer suburbs in paris they're filled with black yeah. people and arabs and that's practically the makeup of the french team um is that yeah. right does that fit well with you 
No, no, of course not. Of course not. And absolutely, you know, that's something that the French government, uh, the politicians of that country need to address. Mm. Um, you know, the public need to address it. Uh, the people of France, um, of different minorities, need to come out and talk and put their voices across. Um, unfortunately, I mean, it's very, very easy to get politics involved in sport. But, you know, as a sportsman myself and as a lover of football, I'd like to think that we can see past that and try not to bring politics into sport. Because when we start doing that, sure. then the love of the game and the love of the sport becomes irrelevant then. Um, and, and then also, you start putting people off. And also, isn't it the case that it could be that maybe those who, cho who choose who ends up in the actual team will actually start choosing more white players given the feedback they've got after this. Could that be the case as well? It could kind of have an implicit backlash in terms of the choice of players given this feedback they've received after this. Well, no, I think look, they should I start mean, looking for more African players. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's going to have the opposite effect. <laughs> I hope so. I mean, I mean the French, the French national coach, he's, he's, he's white. Uh, and he's won the World Cup as a player before. And he's won the World Cup with players like Zidane, mm. uh, Patrick Vieira back in the days, um, Thierry Henry, who were black African people back in 1998. And now this obviously goes back even back to then. And people can argue, well, you know, did, did, he, did France win the World Cup with Africans or Muslims then? Or yeah. did they win with French people? True, true. Um, and the same can be applied in any sport. I mean... If you look at cricket, for example, in this country, mm. you know, the England team have got uh, people like Moin Ali and uh, Rashid um, Adil Rashid playing for them. Mm. Um, are we going to say now that B Pakistan has influenced <laughs> <laughs> the England team in winning very, very their, good one, their test matches? Well, one last I mean, question. You can take this argument quite forward quite a lot, but I think because France has this particular issue with exactly. Muslims and Africans internally. Exactly. I think it's hmm. become more of an issue. And obviously, Trevor Noah is an African himself. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, England has its fair share of Islamophobia, right? But it's nowhere near compared to what they're seeing in France at this time, right? I mean, yeah. I mean, this country yeah. is good hmm. to, to its Muslim uh, community. Um, right, one, more, one last question, bro. And it's a really important one, which is... Why, okay. when, when are we going to see the first Pakistani football player in the English team? What's going on here? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. That's, I don't know. There are plenty, that's they're too busy there are plenty of cricket. Pakistani, <laughs> Bengali and Indian players around there. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we try to do our best to influence our communities to come forward and get their children involved in sport, be it football, cricket, hockey, mm. rugby, whatever it is. Mm. Um, I think we need to overcome... Um, socially within our own communities mm. issues to persuade our children to get involved first um, and um, I think it's a bit of a struggle at the moment we find it a struggle with our parents with children who uh, play in our clubs mm. um, well, what, kind of, what kind of issues are you facing though? Are par parents don't want their kids to go and play football? I think, I think it's commitment uh, in mm. terms of um, uh, not just football but any type of sport just being there Right. with your children, giving them that time and effort. Mm. Um, and unfortunately, and I know this will probably tie in with your topic later on of knife crime, um, unfortunately our children are getting involved in other issues within society, which is a shame because it is happening a lot in our own community and um, mm. it's something that we, as a community, definitely need to address. There's no doubt about it. Amazing. Well, great 
words of wisdom there from Nadim but Luton coach or your Luton Thank United you. coach we appreciate your time tonight bro Jazakallah no problem thanks for having me take, take care. care okay have a good evening welcome listeners this is Friday night live um, so this is an interesting thing um, if you because the French ambassador did get back to um, Trevor Noah and gave him a very long statement in which he said look we don't discriminate based on color religion all that stuff classical typical secular state um, he said you're French and there's nothing else associated with you you know a French person is equal to another French person and he said well if you compare that to America in America they do actually distinguish your race when they give you the title of American so I did think about mm. this and it's true so if you think about it mm. um, you know black people in America they're not called Americans they're called African Americans they typically yeah. identify themselves you as don't African American you don't hear people describe themselves oh I'm an English American yeah or an Irish American or, or a, a French American yeah um, but if you look at another uh, Irish American yes so so, so um, uh, Spanish people or Mexican people that are living in America they're known as Latin Americans, right? So actually, I would say even actually, America is probably more racist. Mind you, you've got to appreciate. You've got to appreciate. Maybe that an, an English American wouldn't want to say they're an English American after 1786. After <laughs> after after all, they took the they took the king's head off the banknote, didn't they? That, that, that's if they know even that much about their history, right? This is this is the thing. <laughs> it's 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 crazy. But I mean, there is definitely something untoward there, and it could be argued that. You know, the reason why France is under the spotlight right now isn't because everyone's jealous that they won the World Cup. No, we applaud that. Good on them. Congratulations. But it's just their policies towards minority communities that happen to be mm. doing all the work in this in this way. It is yeah. true. I mean, if you think about the other things that we've spoken about tonight, mm. the reality is all good-hearted countries in the world don't like to see victimization of one part of the community yeah. by another part of the community Absolutely. that's what the issue was that we were talking about in the f in the first part of the program mm. and let's face it you know the, the things that have happened to muslims and and how our wives mothers and daughters have been treated in france over just wearing a scarf for goodness sake yeah, yeah. it's just a scarf it is crazy you right know? Yeah, you know, it, it, it's 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 unnecessary victimization. Mm. How does that? How does that? How does that make these ladies happy to to be called French? Absolutely, absolutely. Is there some any points from you? Yeah, to be honest, I think um, I, I I hear what people are saying, and I hear that there were a number of sort of black people um, representing France, uh, and then you could draw the conclusion that they relied on. But the other way of looking at it is that those people. Uh, presumably went through the ranks, uh, were encouraged to actually progress their careers in football and they were actually selected to play for France. They were given the opportunity. So I think that, that's a, it's a positive that France has actually allowed. And it's always the case. This is not the first time. If you look at previous World Cups as well, they have, you know, the black people have been overrepresented in, in the French team. And that doesn't reflect the fact that, you know, they're, you know, they're overly relying. It's just that, you know, um, the people had the skills and the best people who had the skills were selected regardless of the colour. And I think that's a positive thing, right, from uh, from a, a French perspective, I would say. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, um, you could argue the fact that, you know, there, there is a link to colonialism, etc., etc., etc. But I think um, that's probably, in my opinion, that's just... Uh, 
like I think the previous caller said, it's, it's politics. I think really. what's important here, and it, it is worth saying, is is that when you, as a minority community, wherever you are, where an injustice happens, mm. you know, you really have to understand how democracy truly, truly works. Mm. If you are quiet and something is happening against you that you don't like, you've got to speak out and speak out loudly. That's how it works. Got it. All right. Thank you very much for that, gentlemen. Listeners, we are going to go to our guest of voice competition. If you haven't heard about this competition, this is when uh, we're going to play you a couple of voices. All you have to do is guess the correct answers by calling us on 01582 Um And every correct answer gets put into a hat and we'll randomly select one answer. Um, and if you are that person, you win a meal for two at G's Gourmet Burgers. G's Gourmet Burgers is sponsoring tonight's competition. G's Gourmet Burgers um, in Luton. Very, very good place to eat a lovely, decent, high-quality, healthy, often, uh, burger. Um, but here comes voice number one. Can you guess the voice? Rabbi elections made me sorry about you. This is a very unfortunate position. Whose voice was that? Can you guess this voice? Here comes voice number one, one more time. Rabbi elections made me sorry about you. But this is a very unfortunate position. That was voice number one. Here comes voice number two. Can you guess the voice? He comes with an open mind and a fresh mind, even if he has lack of understanding of international issues. Okay, that is guest of voice 01582481822 to guest of voices. Anyway, we're going to go on to our next topic of the evening because this is an interesting one because it's closely coming up to the Pakistani elections in some five days time where it's being alleged that the Pakistani military is working behind the scenes to manipulate the election to try to produce a government it can better control and politicians and uh, according to politicians. Now the military's intelligence arm is carrying out a campaign of persuasion, intimidation and threats according to politicians who have experienced it. And the drive particularly targets the party of former Prime Minister Nawaz Sharif, who military officers have privately said is too soft on traditional foe India and looks to help the pro-military party of former cricket star Imran Khan. Now, to achieve this, the military is working closely with police, local officials and the anti-corruption watchdog according to some politicians. Now, Mr. Khan's Pakistan Tariq Saf party is expected to put up a strong challenge on the 25th of July, but in a closely fought battle with Mr. Sharif's party, making the difference. And it's very, very close. So somebody who knows a lot more about this topic than I do is a special guest, and he's on the line right now. He is Aftab Siddiqui from Samar TV. Assalamu alaikum, Aftab Saab. I'm well, I'm well. Alhamdulillah. So, Aftab, what's your take on this? Thanks for joining us. What's your take on the Pakistani election? Who's actually looking like they're going to win on election night? I think it's a very historical event in Pakistan politics that uh, a second time uh, a democratic government has completed its tenure. And now uh, the, the third election is in offing now. And, uh, and the in the tenure of the political governments uh, are progressing. So that's a positive thing. In terms of the situation with the uh, Pakistani politics and your introduction in terms of how uh, military intelligence or different sec uh, sections uh, of, of law enforcement agencies have been uh, sort of, you know, 
uh, said to be involved. I think it's a bit uh, difficult, really, to pinpoint who is involved and what they are doing. Uh, overall, I think the the scenario has built up over the past two years since when uh, the Panama leaks and before that, some corruption allegations were uh, floating around against Nawaz and Zazdari both. So we have to keep that in perspective. But, but, but there's no on. doubt, I, I hear you, but there's no doubt that a lot of the events that we've seen over the last few weeks have happened to coincide with this period of elections, right? Something is going on, surely. I think there is, because what has happened is that when the, when the whole uh, uh, investigation started, I think this could have been sorted out quite quickly if there were possibilities of sharing the evidence to provide uh, the uh, the uh, to the court that what is the source of the income from which the Evanfield properties were acquired. And you would also, I would say, agree to the fact that if there was a uh, situation where uh, Nawaz uh, family, uh, Sharif family, would have provided those evidences, this case would have been uh, shut out very quickly. And they were, they were given ample opportunity uh, day after day but some or the other, it lingered on and it coincided because, you know, nobody could have decided how long an investigation can take place or the court proceedings can take place. But me, you and everybody else knew that there's a date for election coming through, which is probably uh, immovable. So I think there, there is a combination of factors coming together. I hear what you're saying in terms of, you know, there may be a plot to extend. Yeah, intimidation. For the, mm. you know, there's a plot to, uh, to extend the investigation and bring out the uh, the verdict very mm. near to the election uh, and i think if that was the case then me you can can understand if that was a plot then i think sure nawaz and his uh, his uh, uh, his uh, advisors would have known that and they would have kind of somehow the other would have been able to defuse that situation by coming forth very quickly and killing the case very early on that makes sense know that, what, that what happened was our friends were yeah. able to provide certain uh, documents which didn't had any background or any backup to that yeah. regarding the a letter from one of the Qatari ex prime minister yeah. who happens to be all the member of the royal family in expectation that Pakistani judiciary would not be able to question him, which was I think uh, 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 give, uh, he was given option many options in terms of to 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 come and defend his letter in Pakistan in Qatar in Pakistani embassy. But, you know, that didn't happen. So I think there were the circumstances Got it. That lingered on and it collided with the with the election. I'm but with you. I'm with you. Hear uh, that, then it's a very tough call. And it's a, it's a bit of, you know, uh, Nawaz and his, his advisors. Yeah. Not After up, up, let me ask you this other question, which is really important. So we know that those who are kind of leading the, the front and I just want to know who's going to be the next Pakistani prime minister. So it sounds like it's a head to head race. Probably between Imran Khan, um, probably um, uh, Nawaz Sharif's brother, and Bilawal. Is that right? I think yeah, they are the front runners because they are they are probably one of the biggest three parties, uh, which which could be. I and, and you have put them in a in a very good uh, what you know uh, ascending order also <laughs> descending order rather. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I agree with the way you have put them together. Yeah. So Imran Khan, in in your opinion, given all of the things that we're hearing so far in terms of people's sentiments towards him. He's finally going to become Pakistani premier if nothing goes wrong in the next few days. 
I think it's a difficult one to call off a call that it, it would be him, uh, becoming the premier because elections have not yet happened. Of course, Election of course. Is, you know, uh, but you can't see Shabazz Sharif. Shabazz Sharif um, is nothing like his brother. Of course, um, no, Nawaz Sharif was a different quality Nawaz of meat, right? Together, yeah. Yeah. He, his appeal to uh, within even Punjab, his appeal is very wide and very deep. Uh, Shabazz, some or the other, has always been on the delivery end. So he doesn't carry that weight, which which Nawaz. And, and Bilawal's too inexperienced. He's too young. He's only 29. He's going off his mother's name. Um, his father is being investigated himself. Probably not going to happen, right? So who does that leave? Imran Khan. Most probably, he, but but even if he say that, you know, through the uh, process of elimination, mm. but still, you know, elections haven't happened, and with the with the uh, with the. Uh, election and uh, and the win we have seen uh, for Trump, the Brexit, and Modi's uh, election in in India. GG. They sh- they somehow the other indicate that you know it's very tough to call elections before they have happened. Okay. And there could be madness if uh, if you would uh, permit me, there could be madness of Mathis mm. which works out on the day. I hear you. Aftab Siddiqui, sir, we're out of time. Uh, we got to go for a break, but I really appreciate your time on tonight's program. It's Aftab Siddiqui from Samar TV, amazing man, amazing analysis there from him. Um, listeners, this is Friday Night Live. We're going to take a very short break, but do not go away. We'll be right back after these messages. Stay tuned. This show was played live on Friday night. Now we are going to play the repeat of Friday Night Live. Please do not call or text to participate in the show. Any announcement made in the show may now not be applicable. Assalamu alaikum welcome back to part 3 of tonight's edition of Friday Night Live. That's right, it's Friday the 20th of July 2018. I'm your host, Abdul Akbar. We're beaming out from Luton and surrounding areas tonight and also to the good people of Sheffield, Nottingham, Peterborough and Derby through our partner stations across the nation. Don't forget you can play Guess the Voice and we'll be playing the voices back in a short while. 01582481822 is the number to call. Top stories tonight that we're covering, of course, Israel's parliament, if you haven't heard, yesterday passed a controversial law characterizing the country as principally a Jewish state, fueling anger among its Arab minority. Now, the nation-state law says that Jews have a unique right to self-determination there and puts Hebrew above Arabic as the official language. Arab MPs reacted furiously in parliament with one waving a black flag and others ripping up the bill. What do you make of that? 01582481822. Of course, coming up as well, we've been talking about the Pakistani elections. You've just heard the voice in the previous part of tonight's program from Aftab Siddiqui, who is the Samar TV journalist. He reckons, of course, he's playing it safe, but I reckon Imran Khan is going to be the next Pakistani prime minister. What do you make of that? Can we live in a world where a former cricketer suddenly is the head of around 200 million people? That's a lot of people. Will you will you accept that? I don't know. I don't think I trust Imran Khan. What do you reckon? 01582 481822. Nawaz Sharif, like him or loathe him, he built a lot of Pakistani infrastructure. Now, corrupt or not corrupt, he did a lot of good work for that country. 
What do you reckon? 01582 481 Will Imran Khan make a good Prime Minister of Pakistan, assuming he's going to win the vote on the 25th of July? Give me a call and share your perspectives. Anyway, we're going into our special topic tonight. We're going to spend a good 45 minutes on this topic. I really want to get to the bottom of this topic because it's been around for the last few years and every time we hear of it, it just gets worse and worse. And of course, police today reported that they've recorded another surge in violent offences, including murder, manslaughter and stabbings as the number of police officers and detection rates plunge to a record low. Now, in an alarming day for crime and policing, a rush of statistics prompted warnings of a public health emergency. Now, Luton is no exception to the whole situation. Now, at a national level, gun crime rose but at a less pronounced rate than knife crime, up 2% to 6,492 offences in the period. Well, we're going to be talking about this live on the radio right now. and I've got some very, very special guests in the studio with me and who are going to help me navigate this topic. Now, I've got to be honest, when I grew up, and I grew up in northwest London, um, I grew up in mostly a kind of working class neighborhood, very safe, relatively safe compared to today at least. Um, there weren't that many people from abroad, there certainly weren't that many Polish people or people of, um, you know, uh, you know, different different color. Um, it was mostly Irish people that I grew up around. I, I learned the Irish accent and the Irish way of speaking very, very quickly. My neighbors were all Irish. Um, I think we were the only Pakistanis on the street back then, and it was really safe. My parents would let me out. I had a skateboard back then. I would zoom up and down the road. Um, there was the odd mugging here and there, but nothing to do with knives. There just wasn't a knife crime issue. And I'm talking about um, the mid-1980s here as I was growing up. Now, here's the thing. Today, when you turn on the television or you read the local Luton Press or the Peterborough Press or the Sheffield Press, I'm sure there'll be a story somewhere where somebody has been stabbed. In fact, not a day goes by where there isn't a stabbing incident in this great country of ours. And the question is, what the hell's going on and what are we doing about it? And, you know, um, we live in a blame culture, so I'm going to join in the club. Who do we blame? Do we blame the police? Do we blame the mosques? Do we blame the churches? Do we blame the synagogues? Do we blame the schools? Um, who do we blame? Do we blame the parents? Surely somebody is at fault for this knife crime pandemic that we are seeing in this country. Now, to help me answer these questions, I'm joined by an excellent panel of guests, and I really appreciate their time this evening. Um, we've got Claire Copleston from Meaningful Education. Good evening, Claire. Good evening. Welcome, thank you for joining us. We've also got Mark Clark from Walk to Freedom. Hey, good evening. Good evening, sir. Welcome to you. Um, we've also got Daniel Connor, head teacher of Chorley High School for Boys. Good evening, Daniel. Good evening. Shall I call you Mr. Connor or Daniel? Uh, Daniel will be just fine, <laughs> thank you. Oh, oh, sir. <laughs> sir as well, indeed. And we've also got Umar Khan here as well, representing um, the local Luton community and uh, very active in the local community. He can give us the youth perspective as well. Uh, good evening, Omar. 
Good evening. Asalaamu Alaikum. <laughs> Alright, so, and of course we've got Abu Bakr Cooper, also known as uh, um, our friend in the studio. So welcome to everyone. Um, uh, so so let, let's take it one step at a time. And let me start off by going straight to um, Daniel Connor, who's the head teacher of Choyalni Boys uh, School. Of course, we know that Cholney is a, a very popular school in Luton and surrounding areas. Um, it's made up of the boys' school and the girls' school next door. My wife actually went to the girls' school. Um, uh, so thank you for that, whoever was leading the girls' school um, back then. Um, but specifically, here's the thing. Daniel, I mean, what's your take on the knife crime situation and how are you handling it as a head teacher? Uh, it's such a big question and I, I, I want to challenge you really in terms of your introduction there Please. when you were suggesting that we should be looking for people to blame uh, and I think the issues we're dealing with are far more systemic than that uh, mm -hmm. and, uh, and I don't think that we will get anywhere really if we're looking to blame people. I think what we need to do is actually start to understand what some of the dynamics in society are that are leading to um, the what seems at the moment like an explosion in violence. However, let's get that in perspective because I think it's equally dangerous to catastrophize things. Um, for example, imagine growing up in the midst of the destitution of the 19th century with mass disease, mass unemployment and a child growing up then. Life then for a child is much more dangerous than it is now. Mm. Or indeed growing up as a child through the Blitz in the Second World War uh, and being um, uh, you know, evacuated out of your, your home to live with a strange family and so on and so forth. And of course the vast majority of young people do not get involved in knife crime. The vast majority of people do not get involved in extreme violence. So we shouldn't catastrophize it, but we do need to acknowledge there is a real problem and I think there's a growing problem. Uh, and looking at society, I would think that one of the things that we should look at particularly closely is the development of a subculture, which is often fueled by uh, social media and the internet and whole worlds of virtual reality and communication that children are involved in that adults know very little about. And I think it is within that environment that there is this sub subculture growing up uh, which parents aren't in control of. But it's been going on, for, sorry to interrupt you, but it's, okay. it's been going on for years. So you, surely you can't plead ignorance that you don't know what's going on in the subculture, given that knife crime has been an issue for at least the last 10 years, um, not just in this county, not just in this town, but across England. So uh, do you honestly buy the fact that, you know, that we are, we are, we are still ignorant about the social culture in which young people are growing up in and therefore we still are kind of starting to understand it and therefore that's the reason why knife crime is happening surely we don't surely we surely we've got to a maturity where we do appreciate yes the proliferation of social media and technology certainly allows us to gain awareness of what's going on absolutely that's a given but what's the core here? So as a head teacher, um, I, with respect, sir, I'd like to blame you, if I may. Um, and, and here's the reason why. Because you are in a position of responsibility. You're, you're in a position where if you spoke to lots of parents, they will say that actually the purpose 
of the, one of the reasons this is happening is because of poor education and the fact that education is not being passed on to young people. So I'm not blaming you personally, don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm blaming the profession and, and, and the system potentially where could schools be doing more to actually prevent the knife crime culture. So when we talk about, for example, teenage pregnancy, we know that schools are doing a great job in ensuring that children where there is a problem are informed and educated. How much work are the head teachers doing and those who are working in the education sector to really deal with this problem? Because it's a problem, as you've acknowledged. It's a big problem. And look, um, you know, we, 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 I totally concur that this is not uh, you know, it, it, we, we shouldn't sensationalize these things, but if you try talking to the parents of uh, Wariam Hussein, who died in Luton on the 6th of May, um, they're going to say it's an issue because their child was killed on the streets of Luton because of a sim single stab wound. And the question is, how many children will it take before you and those who are in the position of authority will actually say enough is enough. And maybe you don't have the power to do everything and nobody expects you to do everything. But what can you do as the head of one of the great schools in Luton to actually really move the needle in the direction where we see less and less knife crime? I'll come back to where I started, really, which is that uh, this is a systemic, a systemic problem. So, yeah, of course, schools could do more, but everybody could do more. Schools could do more. Parents could do more. The police could do more. Uh, the government could do more. The young people themselves could do more. It's, it's a systemic problem. And, and, and I think what I was contending, really, was that it's not helpful to blame it on one sector or, or, or one organisation. But we could say that for anything. We, it, we, we could say it, that for anything. Any it, it, kind it, of problem it, we have in society, with respect, yes. we could say everyone could do more. Yes. We've got a problem with rapes in India. Yet every, yeah. everybody could do more to, to mitigate the rapes, the daily rapes that are happening in India. Of course, so, so, so let me, you, you've asked me what schools could do, what schools could do more of. Well, mm. I'll tell you one thing that schools could do more of, and that is really work hard with parents on building up a stronger partnership between parents and between the schools so that we can work together as a society. So we blame the parents? No, 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 yeah. to work together with them mm. because we need to claim our children. We need to claim them back. We need to claim back the territory. Because I, what I fear about society is at the moment is that a lot of that territory is being claimed by the social network platforms, the social media platforms, these platforms that allow so much unregulated, unmoderated, unmediated communication between young people. And remember, these are young people who are still learning. They're still developing um, how to moderate their language. They're, they're still de developing and learning how to form positive relationships how to manage conflict and avoid conflict and to be able to do that in a virtual environment that has no moderation or regulation by responsible adults I think that's the problem and that's not specifically the school's faults themselves yeah but it, it is the schools working in partnership with particularly with the parents that will help us to get to grips agreed with but the school um, I'm, I don't know about the policy in Cholney but um, being a, being a, a qualified teacher myself uh, uh, the school has power to prevent 
children from using smartphones during school hours, right? So mm -hmm. that's something you can control during yeah, the, the school period, of course. Mm -hmm. Now, he here's the other thing, though. Now, with respect, you say that, you know, the technology providers, those who own the social platforms, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, whatever people are using these days, and, and those are the top three, um, you know, they'll just turn around and say, well, we are merely technology providers. The actual content that's sent around etc is not it's not moderatable of course people can flag the content as inappropriate and then a human will eventually review that and there's a community mechanism of kind of crowdsourcing the moderation but at the end of the day responsibility starts with the individual themselves society, right? society has to decide yeah. whether they are happy with that response or not yeah is society happy with that response and, and I don't think they should be, because I, I, I think that is, you know, you, you mentioned when you were young. Mm. When I was young, there was no social media. Mm. Uh, there was no um, on-demand television. So in other words, I, I couldn't go into a, turn on the television at, at any time of night or day, sure. find on Netflix an incredibly violent film that, 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 you know, models violence and models a very negative view of masculinity. There was children's television between, I think, about, you know, 3.30 3 and o'clock and 6 o'clock. There was a water shed yeah I couldn't go into a shop uh, and, and buy pornography you mm. know that was illegal and it was on the top shelf I'm told yeah and and so there were these regulations there there were these moderations now are we going to be satisfied with the the the, the, the managers the leaders the, the the investors the people who make all this money out of social media mm. replying to us oh no it's nothing to do with us you know that's just a platform uh, and I think w w we have to decide as a society whether we're going to accept that or all not. right I hear that that was Daniel Connor head teacher of Chorley um, High School for Boys and I'm going to come back to you in a moment Daniel just to get some more thoughts from you on, sure. on the process but I, I want to go around the panel and then we'll okay. come back and, and we'll talk about some of the other challenges but what I'm hearing from Daniel so far is that this is a societal challenge it's a challenge that we all need to work on together um, depending on the different parts that make up society whether it's the police the education system the social system um, and even the media for example and here's another thing that I want to just plant in my um, listeners is ears which is what about rap culture now I think rap culture has got a lot to do with a lot of the problems that we see today especially some of the rap music that's out there and not just rap music just some of the ordinary music that you get on mainstream media some of the lyrics are frankly disgusting and I wouldn't want my kids going anywhere near especially when they correlate to crime hating and killing I love the thoughts of um, Mark Clark who is from Walk to Freedom. Mark, good evening, welcome. Mark, Mark, what is Walk to Freedom? Just tell us about that for a second. Yeah, so the Walk to Freedom is a community-based charity here in Luton where we have a number of different programmes. So um, our primary programmes are around drug and alcohol dependency and drug and alcohol training and awareness. Um, for all intents and purposes, we're here. Our larger programme is working with young people um, who are vulnerable and at risk of borders of exclusions, getting involved with gangs. So we provide a healthy exit strategy for them by helping them to understand the why of the situation mm. and then the how that's so important mm. here's the thing wherever you go I mean you go into any kind of training program yeah. or a class they're showing you the what 
here's what you do here's what you do here's yeah. what you do but they never tell you the, the why, why. Exactly. so they're building skills but they're not building the capability of doing it yeah. yourself and understanding yourself and exactly. i think that's the problem as well and maybe yeah. what we need to do to our young people and maybe even to adults frankly speaking is not just telling them what not to do but why right. you shouldn't do it and, exactly. and the impact of why you shouldn't do it yeah. a classic example here is when you um speed on the road right before yeah. you used to get three points and bang that was it and your yeah. insurance premiums go up but now you get three points or you get the choice, choice. of going on a one-day course yeah. where they show you the impact of your speeding and exactly. why you shouldn't be speeding mm -hmm. which has a much uh, longitudinal effect than it does just giving you points on your license right exactly what, what can you tell us more about your program so how, how does it correlate to knife crime okay so with young people that we work with we've got a um, youth program called i am possible youth challenge okay so where what we what we understand about the psychology behind this antisocial behavior and and negative impacts and choices that they're making there's a psychology behind it so what we looked at was the psychology around it what what makes a person's mindset become this way that down the line it's okay to do this thing right what happened in your life? What happened in your world? Mm. Why? What led you into this? And that's what we look at. What is it? Is it poverty? Is it's it a abuse? Of, is it's it a poor, number yeah. of different issues. Mm. And then it, then it boils down to a choice. Yeah, because you don't get white, middle-class exactly. children out there, uh, I'm talking generally, generally yeah, um, yeah. stabbing each other. Um, it's generally yeah. probably the black and Asian minority communities that are predominantly mm. involved in these types of knife crimes. Well, well, Am I generalizing too much? Or? Um, in a sense, because what we're looking at there is one particular view in one particular area of where we live. Got it. If we, if we look at some other programs that we see on TV where we go to Liverpool, we go to Manchester, we go to Scotland. You do see white people. You yeah, see yeah, white yeah, people yeah, that yeah, are doing yeah. exactly the same thing. Fair so enough. we've got to be aware of our perception sure. of what we're being fed. Good point. Yeah. Okay, so with the young people that we work with okay what we help them we intrinsically already know that the things they were doing are not the things that they're created to be we intrinsically know that we just know that they have been peer-led and influenced by by the outside world mm. so what happens is is they're trying to live maintain and survive in a world that they're not used to that that like Daniel said, that, that is very influential, it's very impactful, it's very, very quick. Mm. And while they're trying to recreate their identity, it, an, another world is being forced upon them at the same time. So when you have young people that are like this, what needs to happen is we help them to understand how you got here. Mm. Okay, so we look at from the beginning. What was your world like? Where was it created? So imagine that their life is like a stack of cards. Okay, so what we do is we work backwards with them to help them to understand where the stack of cards fell and then we help them to build on it. Because you see, I'll be honest with you, when we first launched this program, we lied. We lied. And a lot of programs do lie. Because we say this program for three months is gonna change your life. No, it's not. This program, what it should do is help you to realize that change is possible and to see yourself in a different way. Right. So that's what intrinsically needs to happen with helping a young person to renew their mind. How are you finding the engagement from local bodies, from government, from schools, okay. for example? Because yeah, yeah. it sounds like your program is one of the things, one of the solutions that we need yeah. plugged into schools for example where where, yeah. where, you, where you can actually go into schools and do yeah. workshops like the ones you're describing exactly. i'm going to be quite frank here 
it's not rocket science. Right. It's true. <laughs> you know, Somebody's it, got it, to do it, right? It's, it's not rocket science. Yeah. Because when we are talking about these issues, we're talking about it in a splintered way. Mm -hmm. Okay? So when Daniel's talking about the schools and what's happening in the schools, that's one element. When we're talking about parenting, the care system, that's mm -hmm. another element. <clears throat> but when we're talking about the voluntary sector yeah. and the great organisations in Luton that are doing some amazing work, like Meaningful Education, like Jamrock Media, like a lot of other diverse firms, a lot of, uh, I'm just putting them all out there because they're all great organisations. Yeah. But what the biggest problem is that we need to work all together yeah that's the biggest problem so you reckon we're working in silos and we're not in a we're sense, not kind of yeah. working cross-functionally enough exactly and, and therefore everyone's just kind of repeating everybody else what everybody exactly. else is doing and you're not yeah. kind of m moving the needle enough not moving the needle enough yeah. and plus okay we're purely focusing because it gets more results on the symptoms yeah of the problem that's interesting we're yeah. focusing on the symptoms i mean as much as okay the symptomatic problem that we're trying to deal with is get knives off the street okay so yesterday the police spoke well about a lot of things that are happening with the knife bins that are happening but the question you got to ask is are the people who are doing the stabbings putting the knives in the bin exactly so so it's like well okay. why, why should they put their knives in the bin so what's the, that, that's the, the why again why uh, should i if i if i if i'm at threat so if you speak to a young person yeah. the young person if you say why do you carry a weapon on yeah. you young person i'm sure you've heard this the yeah. young person will say well i'm carrying it as self-defense exactly i'm gonna get stabbed yeah. um you know i'm, I'm in my gang i've yeah. got to keep i've got to keep it as self-defense yeah so it's kind of like the, the the mindset is completely obtuse exactly. you know what i mean yeah. so how do you kind of widen that mindset i'm going to come back to yeah, you sure, on that in a sure, moment so sure. some food for thought there but listeners thank you for tuning in this is friday night life hot topic tonight we're talking about knife crime i've got an excellent panel of guests i've got daniel connor head teacher of trolney high school for boys you've just been hearing the voice of mark clark from walk to freedom local charity here in luton and we're going to be speaking very shortly to claire coppleston from meaningful education and also umar khan from the local community here very interesting topic what do you make of it listeners you can take part in tonight's conversation speak to our guests as well 01582 481822 I'm going to go to my guests in a moment but with that I want to go to um, brother Paul Paul what do you reckon what's your take on this uh, I'm going to rope you in because I did not like the fact you said mm. oh we cannot police the internet Mm. If Google can search for it, you and I both understand how the internet works. Mm. It works on algorithms, what are written, sure. and that's what the computer follows. Computers only do what you tell them to do. They if do. a computer algorithm can find it for you, YouTube is Google. Google and YouTube are the same company. So if the algorithm can find the content, which, as Daniel quite rightly said, is um, causing the problems and Mark said is uh, culturally causing yeah, it's the problems. A, it's, it's one of the problems. Yeah. Mm. No, it's mm. the problem. Why? Because all we have to have is government legislate to force the internet companies to stop this content being there. If it can be found, that means the algorithms on Google are finding it for our children to see. It's a good point. Therefore, yeah. it means just as easily as the algorithm can be written to find it, the algorithm therefore automatically knows it's there 
and can stop it. So here's the problem. Simple answer. Here's the problem with that argument, which is you're passing the blame <laughs> onto one entity. And remember what we said. No, it's not one entity because they are the gateway. Yeah, but here's that, the, the internet is the gateway to the good and it's the gateway to the I'm bad. I'm sorry, but that's a very obtuse way of looking at it's it. It's not here, obtuse. But here's the reason why. The, let, let me respond. The reason why it's an obtuse way of looking at it is we understand that actually the problems in society are made up of multiple facets. It comes from all kinds of areas and the internet, yes, is a problem. Um, pop culture and music culture is a problem. Yeah, there's parts of music culture which is a problem. There's parts of gang culture which is a problem. Now, what the internet does, which it never did, used to do before in the old days, is it kind of amplifies the issue. I don't think it will solve it. Listeners, this is Friday Night Live. The debate is heating up. Stay tuned. This show was played live on Friday night. Now we are going to play the repeat of Friday Night Live. Please do not call or text to participate in the show. Any announcement made in the show may now not be applicable. Assalamualaikum, welcome back to part 4 of tonight's edition of Friday Night Live with me, Abdul Akbar. It's Friday the 20th of July, 2018. And guess what? We're beaming out to the good people of Luton and surrounding areas tonight. And also to the good people of Sheffield, Nottingham, Derby and Peterborough through our partner stations across the nation. If you've tuned in just now, um, we're talking about knife crime and I've got an excellent panel of guests to help me out trying to navigate this pandemic across the UK. Of course, I've got Claire Coppleston from Meaningful Education. I've got Mark Clark from Walk to Freedom. I've also got Daniel Connor, who's the head teacher of Cholney High School for Boys. And Umar Khan is here as well from the local community. And of course, my very special co-host in the studio, Paul Cooper, is in the house. Don't forget, you can take part in tonight's conversation by calling 01582 481822 with your comments or questions for my guests. But what's your take, listeners? Honestly, knife crime is an issue. We've, we've accepted that. The question is, though, who do we blame? Who is at fault for the knife crime in our community? Do we blame the mosques? Do we blame the churches or the temples or the gurdwaras or the synagogues for not doing enough in the communities, the religious communities, to control the children? Why are they not educating the parents to go home and teach them good parenting? Do we blame the schools? Do we blame the head teachers? Why are they not doing enough in assemblies or in PSHE lessons to actually ensure that children know the consequences of using a knife? Do we blame the charities? Are the charities just taking our money and spending it on useless programs? Or do we blame the social network providers? Those who are offering us the platforms like Facebook, like YouTube, like Instagram, where those who are perpetuating such violence or these types of rap videos are actually being noticed by youngsters and celebrated by youngsters. Who do we blame? 01582 481822. Now you might be thinking, actually there's nobody to blame, but surely, 
Who do we blame? Do we blame the Home Secretary for not doing enough in terms of funding of community programs? Do we blame the Community Secretary? Who do we blame? I'm going to go to my next guest who is in the studio as well. She's Claire Copleston from Meaningful Education. Sounds very interesting. Good evening, Claire. Welcome to the program. Good evening and thank you. Thanks for joining us. So, Claire, you've been listening to um, the discussion so far. And what's your take? Um, Who do we blame? (laughs) It's <laughs> a good question. Um, okay, so firstly, just in defence of Daniel, sure, uh, there is lots of programmes and there is lots of support for the young people out there. Mm. Uh, like Mark and, and like myself in Meaningful Education, we do actually do lots of education in schools. And I do find that educations, um, education systems across kind of Bedfordshire and wider are very open to having organisations come in and support. I think we put a lot of pressure on schools and colleges that, you know, all these teachers need to be equipped to deal with mental health issues, they need to be equipped to deal with knife crime. They're there to teach um, and I think it's about working together in partnership with organisations, with, um, you know, local authorities, with the police and it's it's a community issue. But is it working? though because if it was working we would be seeing a decrease in knife crime and, and, and knife problems on the street but if you if you say that you are working charities like yourselves are having an impact how, how are you having an impact if and I'm not saying you specifically yeah. but how are organizations like yours having an impact um, if knife crime is going up what's what's not working Okay, so firstly, I think you need to have consistency. Mm. You need to have consistency in your delivery. And you also need to think about changing the mindset of these young people. Mm. We're in a culture where, you know, they're listening exactly to what you said earlier. We're listening to music and, you know, Daniel explained earlier, virtual reality. We need to change that mindset. And we need to make the young people and children understand the consequences of their actions should they choose to go down that path. So it's about working with them. And, you know, like Mark was saying, it's not just about why but how and you know we need to learn what the consequences are um, we do a lot of work around mental health so we're seeing a, a spike in working with people around trauma um, and people that have been through or seen something relating to knife crime again you talked about social media mm. okay we do have private privacy settings and, and everything else like that on social media but you know i speak to a lot of young people we've done a series of community meetups recently across bedfordshire and some of the things that they were saying was you know like i could write something that's private on my on my social media and my friends see that it only takes one person to screenshot that send that then i've got conflict on the streets mm. so it's quite easily done and it's like i said we need to be working in schools working in communities and we need to be changing the mindset another thing as well going back to what you said um daniel was you know communities years ago used to be communities people used to come together everyone knew their neighbors now communities are quite isolated Mm -hmm. and it's about building community cohesion more i think so do we blame the community groups um, you for can't not blame for not, for, not for, for, for not kind of mixing enough. I mean, let, let's go to a member of the community. Thanks for that. Um, we'll come back to you in a moment, Claire. Um, I want to go to Umar Khan, who's from the community. Um, Umar, of course, you're, you're, you're somebody who goes to <coughs> one of the local mosques here um, in, in Berry Park. And you're somebody who I understand has grown up in Luton as well. And somebody who's very familiar with the climate. Um, I, 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 did you go to Chorley Boys by any chance? Absolutely. You did. There you go. <laughs> good so for you're, you. you're, you're a successful graduate. It was good for me. Yeah. You're a product of Ch- Chorley um, School for Boys as well, which is fantastic. What's your take? What's going on here? I think what's going on here is you look. You're looking for someone to blame, and I think 
the thing that we can blame is the fact that we're looking for someone to blame. And what, what, I'm trying that, what does that mean? <laughs> what I'm trying to say here is we can blame the schools. Yeah. We can blame the families. We can blame the police. We can blame the social media. We can blame all of them. Can we blame the mosques? In our, oh, sorry. Number one, we can blame the mosques. We can blame the churches. We can blame the synagogues. Okay. In argument, essentially what I'm saying also is we can't blame anyone because everyone is to blame. So what I'm saying now we have to do, and this is, I think, the reason why we failed, and you're right, we haven't seen progress. If everyone's doing such amazing work, what's happening? Why is it? Why is there a rise? Yeah. And I think it's coming back to Mark's point and Dan's point and Claire's point, community. And what I saw yesterday, I haven't seen in my lifetime before. I'm not that old. I'm only 24. <laughs> um, and that was that people of different backgrounds, different all across the spectrum came together and actually came up with solutions. Now I've actually got some of them because I went through the trouble of uh, everyone that jotted everything down. I actually got the solutions and the challenges in one. If you if you allow, I'll just quote some of them. If, if you can be brief, yeah, go yeah, ahead. I mean, yeah, so some, some mm. of the problems were uh, language barriers, a lack of religiosity, which I think is a big one, uh, not enough law enforcers, drugs, and then some of the solutions would be <laughs> the funniest one, stable adults, um, strict punishment for offenders, united prayer for across community and a sharing of knowledge and experiences. I think what's happened yesterday and hopefully we'll follow these up with a lot of a lot more events, a lot more action is the unity of the community. That's right. And once we have that, I think if we do this show in a year's time, hopefully with the same panel, we will see some positive results. So that's nice optimism, and optimism is a very important ingredient to moving the needle. But here's the thing. Okay. I don't think, and this is not to you, this no, no. is to the group here, I don't think optimism is going to solve the problem. Of course, it's a very important and vital ingredient. It's a bit like magical fairy dust. You need to sprinkle a bit of it on in order to begin to move the needle. Now, let me go back to the blame situation here. Now, um, and I know Daniel will know about this because he leads... Um, a school, a large school in Luton, and he has teachers reporting into him ultimately. And ultimately, if those teachers fail to perform and they don't do their job properly, or those in their classes are not learning according to the standards set by, um, you know, Ofsted and etc., 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 then, um, you know, people will come to the school, parents will come to the school and say, Hey Daniel, how's it going? Like my child here, and by the way, my friend's child who's in the same class aren't doing very well. Now they're going to be looking to Daniel to actually be accountable for the quality of the education that's coming out of his school. If now, only though, if yeah, only yeah. that was the case. Um, well, it is the case. That's how it works. W but uh, but uh, let, me, let me explain something. Now, if if I if I if I go down to Luton Borough Council and the council isn't doing a good job of cleaning my roads and there's a sofa on the corner of my road and it's been there for three weeks I'm going to go down to the council I might speak to the council leader and I'm going to hold him accountable what's going on on the roads of Luton right now here's the thing if we're saying there's nobody to blame then there's no accountability now here's the challenge when are we going to start to be accountable for the knife crime on our streets and if this group is saying to me well 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 we got to work together it's it's all good Who's going to be accountable? Who do we hold accountable for the knife crime on our streets? Is it the police? Because John Boucher, by the way, um, he was meant to come on tonight's programme. Unfortunately, he had a conflict. He's promised to come on next week, so we'll be talking to him about this. But um, So credit to him. Um, he, he will be coming on to talk about But he'll, he'll say, look, we are doing what we can. Um, the statistics are what they are, but we have to work together. But I'm just... 
flabbergasted by the fact that we think there is nobody that needs to be accountable here. Let's go to back to Daniel Connor, head teacher of Trollney High School for Boys. Uh, well, for a start off, let's start trying to look for solutions rather than to look for blame. Uh, because I think, uh, you know, blaming somebody and, and, and being able to pin somebody down isn't necessarily going to solve the problem. And, and I don't want to let you off the hook, okay, about... Please uh, don't, please uh, don't. Okay, uh, about social media sure. and, the, uh, and the internet. And I want to use this example. You, you may have read, you, you sound like a very learned man, uh, the novel Lord of the Flies. Uh, and those of you who know the novel Lord of the Flies will know that it centres around a, a group of children, adolescents, who are left without any adult supervision for a long time on, a, on an island. And you'll also know that it ends in carnage and, 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 and sadness, and it ends with knife crime and murder uh, and anarchy and a, a complete breakdown in society. Now, what I want you to imagine is that the, the, the social media and the internet is the virtual equivalent of that. Unlike any time in human history before, it provides the opportunity for children and young people who have not yet developed the maturity and, and, and the language and all the other emotional intelligence that they need to form positive and regulated relationships to live in that unregulated way in a virtual world. Mm. And eventually what happens in some very sad cases, luckily very rare, is that the virtual world collides with the real world. And just as the example that you gave us uh, uh, earlier, that often comes about as a result of Snapchat or Instagram uh, uh, arguments and conversations, which ends up in two people saying, right, let's go and sort out, uh, sort out our beef somewhere or other, mm. and, and so the violence ensues. So, so that's what I think is important for us to understand. The, the medium is very, very complex. And if, if we don't manage to find a way of only using it positively and regulating our children and, and young people's access to it in the way they use it, we will lose them. I and we've you. got to claim our children back. I, I love that point. And I do think that there is definitely responsibility needed on some of these social media platforms. In fact, all of them that young people are using, there is some need for accountability somewhere. But... I guess those who are needing to be most accountable for this have to be the parents because it's the parent that ultimately gives that first device to the child and buys it for them for their I don't know eighth or ninth or tenth birthday. I mean I've got I've got I've got three girls, two of them are eight and they really want a smartphone. All their friends have a smartphone, and I'm like, hell no, you will not have access to a smartphone. Now, I'm somebody who's very tech savvy. I, I have an engineering background. I, I would love for my daughters um, to be tech savvy and, 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 and start to use apps and things like that, which they do under gross supervision from my, my wife and I, but we're not always there. And I've seen my children grab my laptop and fire up YouTube and, I don't know, watch, watch videos, you know, for children, whether it's um, uh, Arabic songs or whatever, they will take the laptop and they'll start watching. So I think one area of accountability definitely, and this is connected to what you're saying, Daniel, which is definitely comes from the parents. Making sure that you, you know what your children are doing, but... Here's the thing, the number of parents I've had come to me, and this is when I was a teacher. Mm. When I was a teacher, I used to have parents coming to me saying, please help my son, he's 17 now, he doesn't listen to what I have to say. And I'm like, well, I don't know. I think he's beyond the point of repair at this stage. 
What did you do when he was growing up? How did you nurture him? How did you, dare I say, guide him so that he knew how to make the right decisions? And I think that's the challenge and it comes back to society. What are we doing as an education system, mm. as a society? And you know, some parents may not be qualified to parent. You know, maybe there needs to be a parental qualification. You know, it's very easy to have a child, but it's not so easy to actually nurture that child and turn them into model citizens. So I hear what you're saying, Daniel. Definitely there is a, a social stream element here, but the challenge of moderating and monitoring that, especially when it's a one-to-one -one communication, falls under all kinds of privacy con issues and challenges. Maybe, who knows, Brexit might fix that. I doubt it very much. <laughs> um, Paul, Let's hope it yeah. fixes something. <laughs> I'm in agreement with the, the way you're now taking things. No way. Yes. No way. No, I'm, I'm, I'm not reading you back in as I often, as I often do. Paul uh, agrees with me. <laughs> Yeah. The, the, the important thing we need to understand here, and as a teacher myself, is we get training every year, not just, not just occasionally, every year. It's not good enough, though. In extreme detail, so that we understand. For four hours, five, five hours on no. a teacher training day? I remember they were, they were rubbish. Uh, let me finish. On, uh, not at our school. On, safe, <laughs> on, safe, on safeguarding, for example, and how to make sure that we identify where a child is at risk. Or prevent. Now, all, all of those things. Now, the thing that the we worst thing that happened to the English education system, but that's another can of worms we'll come Brexit. back to in the future. But anyway, go now, on. Yeah. <laughs> the key thing we understand as adults working with children, be it teachers, doctors, whoever has contact with children, is not one of us is responsible. We are all collectively responsible. Every single one of us. And this is something that we have to understand as, soci as, as society. You know, Margaret Thatcher famously said she didn't believe in society. Um, but the reality is, if you don't have a community, as, as Claire was saying, True. this is where we get the problems. Here's the problem. Down. So, Paul, here's, here's the problem with what you're saying. If you, if you take the analogy of people on a boat, let's just say we've got five people on a boat and they're rowing together, okay? Now, if they row in harmony, i.e. what you just said, everybody in society rowing together mm -hmm. in harmony, we're going to move forward in the most efficient way. Now, if one or two or three of those rowers don't row properly, or they break their back, yeah. or they don't do their job properly, the boat's going to go in different directions. On your analogy, on your analogy, if we've got a large ship... You've got to blame ship, someone. You've got to blame those four rowers. If we've got a large ship, it's only the adults that are going to be rowing. And, and the issue here is what we have to understand is all of the adults on that large ship are responsible for the small children that are, no, are not yet capable to take the responsibility to shoulder the passage of the ship right. and the rowing. Thanks. And this is what we need to understand. Me as a teacher is responsible. You as a dad are responsible. Government is responsible. The key thing is what we have to understand. It's not. What it's are we not responsible about for, though? It's, it's not clear. Ev everyone who sees a child and comes into contact with a, a child. I know, but try going everyone. to a Luton council estate. Just, just try this out first. Go down to Marsh Farm. Okay. Now there are three beautiful flats there. I think there's four, um, and they are they are lovely. I bet if you went into one of them and you saw a bunch of families and you said what's the right way of parenting your child that's before the children that i'm grossly generalizing i'm just i'm just saying marsh farm is is quite a poverty-stricken part of luton 
Go to Lucy Farm, for example. Now, these parts of Luton have a lot of poverty in them. So the question is, I hear you, Paul. I hear mm. what you're saying, which is everyone has a responsibility. But the question is, is that responsibility clear? And what happens when people fail on that responsibility? Who is accountable for that? Let me go to Umar. Well, the problem is, right now, it seems like everyone's failing on their responsibilities to a certain extent, right? I mean, the family is supposed to be the core unit of society. If the family is not right, essentially your society is not right. And the family, some of the, a lot of the families in Luton right now, or just nationally, they're suffering. Right, so the problem is... You, you mean single parents and things like that? Not necessarily single parents. I mean, right. there could be two of them, but both absent makes no difference. The, I mean, I now speaking to... Um, there's an activist in London who's doing the work, and he's saying the problem is the father figures especially, they don't tend to be there. Even if they're there, they're working all the time. Interesting. And so the yeah. problem is kids don't have a role model. because, And I think Daniel will concur with this point, that most of the people involved in knife crimes are boys. Pretty much all of them. So the fact is they need those role models. So yeah, at home we're messing up. Then when it comes to the police, we don't have enough police officers. I'll say that's definitely true. Then when it comes to school, maybe parents should be working in schools to figure out better ways to do it, so that's possible. But when it comes to faith groups, there's no religiosity in society. That's one of the biggest reasons why we have the... What's religiosity? People people not following their religion? Or no, what? religiosity is yeah. knowing right from wrong. Okay. In, in, it doesn't matter which religion you are, because at the end of the day, most religions also all believe in the same thing, but, essentially. But you, you can be atheist and know what's right can, from wrong. Right? But then you have moral values which are given... We can have the debate on that, obviously, are they from religious or not, but they are part of our society. But the reason I say religions is because most of the people that come from these backgrounds come from a religion uh, a family that adheres to a religion not very practically but they do so the point is if they were to hold on to those values you know and the church and the mosque are doing things actively which they're not again there's another place where you can blame a certain aspect but the what i'm trying to say essentially is and then i think the people trying to blame social media the problem is you can blame the social media but that's just one of the other challenges we have tomorrow we'll have a new challenge if you don't <laughs> equip young people to be strong within themselves and, and to be responsible young people you will keep blaming your challenges okay thanks for that let me go to mark clark so yeah. how do you respond to that kind of point well first i just want to go back to the parenting side of things sure you see what there isn't is enough realization of what's gone on causing what's happening so adolescence has changed over 50 years mm. um, a, a, a great psychologist Erickson said that adolescence used to be like a train journey it was cohesive it had a point of journey it had stop-offs and um, so forth and so forth he said today it's like giving a young person the keys to a Porsche that's got too much power that doesn't know how to drive mm. and he's left on his own because the car's too small my goodness yeah okay mm. and that's what we're seeing with social media what is happening young people have been given too much power in a world where it's easily accessible and free to express okay so adolescence has changed going back to parenting now so what's happened is most parents mindset is most parents mindset is I should bring you up the way I was brought up, okay? So what you have is mm -hmm. a conflict. And the conflict with the young person is this. Mum, Dad, I wasn't brought up the way you was brought up because the streets are different. And you're not even asking me what's it like to grow up today. 
okay mm -hmm. that's what happens okay so that's where you get the child who goes you don't understand there's me a disconnect there's yeah. a disconnect so mm -hmm. what happens underneath that now is a child is basically saying you do not know who i am when i'm out there Mm. And unless we're having those conversations with our children, I remember doing a group once with some parents and I asked every single one of them the question, how many of you have actually asked your child what is it like to grow up nowadays? Mm. Not one of them put up their hands. And when I went, well, how do you know? So basically you're being prejudiced. You're actually bringing them up on what you believe to be right, but not based upon the experiences that they're going through. Mm. So mm. fundamentally what the parent is saying is right. But what we've ended up with is parenting that's basically like this going about the right thing the wrong way mm. all right we're running out of time we've got three minutes left on this amazing program but i do want to go back to claire copleston from meaningful education so claire you've heard a lot of things we've got to say and what i'm hearing is that look everyone knows what the problem is everyone's great at identifying where the problems are and 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 and, and have some kind of ideas around possible solutions but what is the solution from your from your perspective? Is it education of parents, education of children, education of everyone? When should that education start? Should it start from a very young age? Um, how do you recover from a situation where we've got a bunch of teenagers who may not have had that education? How do we revert them back to sanity? Okay, so there's as we discussed, there's lots of problems that's causing you know a widespread of um, issues in our community and a lot of confusion with our young people you know we've talked about um what mark was just saying about the young people um not having that kind of respect if you look at it like that from the parents yeah you know when i've spoken to young people they've said you know we're taught to be respectful of our elders and to listen but actually i don't feel like i'm being listened to mm. you know so it's about building resilience in young people it's about providing the right education changing the mindset and we've got to tackle each issue separately and again i come back to we've got to have community cohesion because mm. everybody needs to be working together children young people they need to be taught guidance and they need to have support and they need to be loved and nurtured and they also need to have you know respect and boundaries put into place mm. Mm. um and i think it, it it's not you know one size is going to fit all everyone needs to work with everybody okay we're running out of time i really appreciate that feedback but i do want to give 20 seconds to daniel connor daniel after everything you've heard so far what might you be doing differently um from 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 maybe what you're doing today is there anything you can learn from tonight that you might take back to school maybe partnering up with mark clark and claire well i think certainly and it's certainly uh uh you know strengthen my resolve to continue developing partnerships with other people claire is so right about that it is about active conscious parenting keeping holding our children in mind you, you're absolutely okay. i completely agree with you well, yes. well well we'll keep in touch we look forward to seeing how this partnership develops of course with your school and others but um let me go ahead and thank my guests claire cobbleston mark clark daniel connor and umar khan thank you everyone for for joining us tonight listeners this has been friday night live let me go ahead and also thank um paul cooper as well as my co-host in tonight's program um listeners this has been friday night live look after yourselves and i'll see you next week Assalamualaikum.